Don't, don't you just love the Christmas songs? How many of you just love seeing Christmas songs? Just raise your hand if you're, that's about everybody, shouldn't it be? There are some, of course, that are the Christian Christmas carols. We love to sing them. We sing them with joy and enthusiasm. And then there are the secular Christmas songs about snowmen and mistletoe. I like those songs as well. So I was wondering if today we might begin by just playing a little game called uh, Name That Christmas Song. And here's how it goes. I'll read a phrase from a well-known holiday song. I was going to sing it. No, I wasn't going to sing it. It wouldn't have been much worse or much better probably anyway. But I'll I'll read a a phrase from a well-known song, and you try to think of the title. And if you know the title, just shout it out. Prizes will be awarded for the first ones to do it. Just shout it out. Here we go. Are you ready? You ready? When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight all the way home, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. All right. The first one who did it, there's a candy cane hanging down on this wreath for you. And I put extra down there for those that might think that they did it too. All right. (laughs) Next slide. Number two. Please have snow and mistletoe, and you guys know this game, don't you? I'll be home for Christmas. Again, candy canes for the winners. Number three, we're snuggled up together like two birds of a feather would be. There you go. Who said that? Ray, was that? Oh, okay. Well done. Last one's your last opportunity for a candy cane. Are you ready? Oh, this is just too easy. In the meadow, we can... I'm sorry, you didn't put it in the form of a question. I... <laughs> Did you notice a theme in all of those songs? There's a lot of kissing and hugging and a lot of talk about love, a lot of uh, romantic love. And uh, did you know that most people, when they think about a time of the year that is all about love, they'll think about Valentine's Day. They'll think about February. But I got to tell you, Valentine's Day has nothing on Christmas. Do you know the number one month of the year where people get engaged is December, not not February? And 19% of all of the people, I was leafing through Brides Magazine this week, and and I came across this study. 19% of all people get engaged in December. And uh, and the most popular day of the year to get engaged, what do you think it is? Christmas Eve. That's the number one time. And uh, Christmas Day is number two. And Valentine's Day is a distant number, number three. But the kissing and hugging and mistletoeing love found in, in secular music and those kind of songs, it isn't really the kind of love that we find in the birth narratives. In fact, the Gospels, we find a very different kind of love than the worldly system will really ever understand. And in this holy season of Advent, we're reminded, reminded of a superior love demonstrated by Jesus Christ, who we are called to follow. I admit that for much of my life, I didn't understand what love was. I thought I did. I thought I did, when I guess when I was a little boy, but I didn't. I think you grow into it over a lifetime. The, the second greatest gift that God has ever given me is my beloved wife, Sandy. And I can say that because she is the one that has taught me. She's demonstrated over my life what love looks like. I wonder, though, if I was the only one that had kind of a shallow understanding of love. 
I wonder if we grow into it. I wonder if love has kind of seasons that we begin to understand over a lifetime. For instance, when I was a little boy, I, I remember I, all I wanted to do was please my dad. I just wanted to be pleasing to my father, you know, and, and so I would take every picture, every work of art, I would take it to my daddy, and, 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 and I wanted to be like him, and so uh, I would try to emulate the things that he did, and I tried to be obedient, and boy, I failed so often at that, but everything I did, it was if I was trying to say, Daddy, tell me that I'm good. Daddy, tell me that you love me. It's kind of a love based on performance, and perhaps that's the first season of love, the the season based on performance. And then a little bit later, I had a bad case of puppy love. Remember the first time you ever had puppy love? Honey, I I have never shared this with you. It's time to confess. Her name was Erin Emmons. It was fourth grade. She was a little blonde-haired girl with freckles, and she had braces on. And when she had braces, something happened because I knew her mouth hurt, and somehow it made my mouth hurt too. And then when I was sick one day, she brought me a plate of cookies, and I knew it was love. (laughs) The second season of love, it's kind of that idea, if you love me or you like me, I'll like you. Remember, did you ever write those notes in fourth grade? I always got caught every time, and the teacher would read it out in front of everyone. But it's kind of an immature love. It's kind of a conditional love based upon what we receive. And then several years later, the back doors of the church opened in a little country church in Clanton, Alabama. And there was Sandy in this beautiful white dress. And there was just this physical reaction, something changed within me. I began to understand a little bit more about love that I looked at this beautiful woman and I all just began to cry and I began to realize that love is a promise that must be fulfilled. And several years later, something mystical happened, the same thing that happened to many of you the first time that you held your first child and it felt like the sun exploded in my chest and all of a sudden, I knew a little more about love. I knew that love was something, well, this one's needs were more important than mine. A fourth season of love. And I remember one day in church, I distinctly remember because it, it puzzled me. It was as if uh, someone was across the church and they were trying to basically say goodbye to me, and, 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 but they cried out, I love you, brother. And I thought, my first thought, I distinctly remember thinking, you don't know me. But I became to understand and believe that love, love is a commitment. In other words, I, I will walk with you, brother, through thick or thin, because now you are my brother in Christ, and now we're family, and I'm, I'm committed to you. And what a gift that has been over my life a fifth season of love. And I'm pretty sure now at the age of 59 that there's going to be more seasons of love for me to discover, new seasons to learn about and and to embrace and to grow into. And, And some of those seasons will probably be wonderful and some will probably be very hard. Hard like, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the, bo- the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Or John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Or yes, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. What kind of love is this? You may be surprised that I would choose John 3.16 to read today. We expect, we enjoy, we anticipate the second chapter of Luke. But John 3.16, can't we just enjoy Christmas? I was reading an Advent devotional this week, and I I came across these words that I want to share. It's from the author J. Sidlow Baxter, and he writes, Christmas draws near again. In our thinking of it, we must never isolate Bethlehem from Golgotha or the cradle from the cross. Apart from the birth of Christ, there would never have been the atonement. And apart from the atonement, there could never have been the incarnation. And apart from the infinite love of God, there could have been neither. In other words, we should never take the manger in isolation and soften it into a gentle bedtime story because we cannot fully appreciate how deeply God loves us until we realize that Jesus, creator and sustainer of all, knew long before. He knew it all before he emptied himself of the glory of heaven. He knew it all from humble manger to rugged cross. What kind of love gives up everything he is worthy of? What kind of love gives up everything he deserves to put on flesh? What did he give up? I can't help but ask that question without immediately going to the book of Isaiah and the sixth chapter. It said, I saw the Lord sitting a throne. This is what he deserves. This is the image of our great God, a Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe, filling the temple. The seraphim, the burning ones, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. What did he give up? He gave up the glory of heaven. He gave up his omniscience, his all-knowing He gave up his omnipresence, his all-being in all places simultaneously. He gave up his omnipotence, his all-strength above all. He gave up all of this so that he might put on flesh. And not royal flesh, not privileged flesh, but flesh born to a poor and humble family. To be wrapped in rags and laid in a feeding trough. Why? There's only one answer. Love. What kind of love? 
A love who knew far in advance of every betrayal, every denial, every abandonment, every angry voice that cried out. I'm reminded at this moment of every time that I would fail him. He knew every sin that would be placed upon his shoulders, and still he came because of love. I read John 3.16, I've read it a thousand times over my lifetime, and, but this week these two words just kind of overwhelmed me. He gave. I was just trapped by these words. He gave, God gave his precious son to you. What kind of love is this? It's not a love we experience very often in the world. I came across these words by a, a man named Matt Chandler this week. He, he said this, people don't like love. They like that flittery, flirty feeling. They don't love love. Love is sacrificial. Love is ferocious. It's not a motive. It's not a feeling. Our culture doesn't love love. It loves the idea of love. It wants the emotion without paying anything for it. It's ridiculous. So, what season of love are you in this day? Love in order to receive something in return do you understand now that love is a promise that must be fulfilled even if you don't get anything in return? Or considering the needs of others more important than yourself? Love is a commitment to the body of Christ. It's, it's not a, a feeling, but it's a deliberate choice. Love makes you vulnerable. As vulnerable as a baby in a manger in the middle of nowhere. Love costs everything. This is a picture of Liviu Labrescu. I don't imagine you would know him. I didn't know him before this week. I'd never heard of him before. He was an engineer. He was a Holocaust survivor. He had not had an easy life. He was also a professor at Virginia Tech when a gunman began shooting on campus. He heard the Bullets, the sounds, getting closer and closer to his room. And when the gunman arrived and tried to enter into his classroom, Livio was having none of it. He braced himself against the door while the gunman shot five times, giving the students just enough time to escape through the windows. Newspapermen called him a hero. The Bible calls it love. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. This is a, a picture of Jordan Rice. Jordan's family was caught in a flood while they were in their car, and rescuers came to save them. As they arrived, they grabbed for Jordan, who was the nearest to the door, and, and Jordan then wrestled out of their arms, and he insisted that the rescuers take his little brother first, even though Jordan couldn't swim. They took Jordan's brother but couldn't make it back before the car was swept away. Newspapers called him a hero. The Bible calls it love.
Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Are you beginning to clarify? Are you beginning to redefine this word love that we throw so casually around? Love is sacrificial. Love is a deliberate choice. Love costs. And even though these acts of great self-sacrifice are powerful, the love of Jesus Christ far, far outshines any earthly example. The Apostle Paul says it this way in the book of Romans, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone might even dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The Christ event from manger to cross to resurrection tells every one of us here today that the Father loves you perfectly. His love is not based on your performance. His love is without condition. His love is a promise that he will absolutely fulfill. He is committed to you. He has sacrificed for you. He is totally in love with you. And now he calls you to love, not in a romantic way, not in a frivolous way, but love as he loved you. In this season of love that you live in today, what is it costing you? Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down their personal preferences or comfort for the good of the church and for the sake of the lost. That one give generously and let no one know even when it's hard. That one bite their tongue unless it is to build up a brother or a sister. That one share their faith even when it's inconvenient or frightening. It's funny as I think back over my life and the the different seasons of love, my understanding of love. The first season was this, Daddy, are you proud of me? Daddy, do you love me? I was thinking this week that maybe that's a good place to start, but maybe it's also a good place to return to. Daddy, Abba Father, tell me you're proud of me. Abba, tell me you love me. And I will try so very hard to be obedient. Because, Abba, I want you to be proud. And I'll do the very things that Jesus did. Because I am your child, too. And because I love you. Christmas. Advent is a season of love. It is a time to meditate on the great love of the Father through Jesus Christ. And such a love is worthy of a wondrous response. Advent is a time to meditate on his love as we grow and we learn to emulate. Advent is a time to live these words that Jesus spoke. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this 
than one lay down his life for his friends. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, to read your holy scriptures, to feel the love, your presence through the power of the Spirit. Forgive us of any ways that we have fallen short so that we might draw close to you. Cleanse us, Father, so that we might express our love fully. And we do love you. I can hardly say that without knowing that my love is so small and dented and frail compared to yours. So help us, Lord. Help us to love you with everything we are just as you have loved. We cannot do this without you. We are in desperate need of you. Help us, Abba Father. In Jesus' name, amen.